Welcome Welcome to today's episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast, brought to you live by Newton sitting across the room, Mark Whitlock, and me, Aaron Porter. Nate Larkin is on assignment. (laughs) Nate Larkin is not with us today because he is having some birthday fun. And you know what? Who needs community on your birthday? Hang out with (laughs) your wife. You don't need other men. Wait, that that didn't sound kind. Well, <laughs> interpret that as you will, listeners. Uh, Nate is off on assignment to have fun today. Uh, that sounds bad too. You guys aren't fun. Oh, I give up. Right, Mark. Yeah, take it from <laughs> and there. Mondo's on his way to Cincinnati, and Mondo just won uh, a big prize with his company. So we're really proud of Mondo. Excited for that. Hey, uh, uh, for some fun, why don't right. you uh, leave some uh, birthday greetings for Nate? in the comment section, if you would. So uh, come to PirateMonkPodcast.com and leave Nate a birthday greeting. I'm sure he would uh, find that totally embarrassing. So let's uh, do <laughs> now, that. Wait, in, uh, are, you, are, you, are you saying that Mondo won a prize to go to Cincinnati? No, I think he's headed like to Hawaii or something. I think something, Hawaii, yeah. But he's, he's oh, on the way good. to Cincinnati on business today. I mean, Ohio folks, I love you. I got <laughs> to hang out with some of you Ohio folks a couple weekends ago. But a grand prize to Cincinnati just uh, seems out of the ordinary. I don't know. Skyline chilly, though. You got to admit. <laughs> nice. There's a couple of good well, How are you guys doing? What's, what's happening in your worlds? Uh, well, um, I've got my car back, and that's, that's no small feat. Um, so I, we traveled to, uh, to Virginia for... <clears throat> Labor Day weekend, and my car broke down as we pulled into the driveway of the rental house. <clears throat> uh, unbeknownst to us, it was towed to a uh, a shop owned by a um, a guy who didn't look at my car for four days because he was in jail. Oh, so, <laughs> um, um, so yeah, we got an extra. So that wasn't ex- that wasn't posted. That wasn't posted on the door of the mechanics. Yeah, uh, that wasn't on the station. Yelp review. Um, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, we got an extra few days in uh lovely and I do mean lovely Damascus and Abingdon, Virginia. I love that part of the country. Um I wish that I had chosen to uh get four extra days there, but yeah, so be it. Uh, I'm not going to complain about some extra time with uh with Brooke and Luke. Um but we we had a blast and now I'm just dealing with the uh with AAA to get reimbursed on a bunch of stuff and yeah, stuff's stuff's all right. Ramping up marathon training. What's going on with you? I just had my first, uh, taken a kid to the emergency room for stitches uh, last night. It was Wait, awesome. A whole first new... ever. Yeah. In my house, I'm the only guy that has ever got stitches and that only happened a year and a half ago. Wow. So none of us had ever had stitches. Huh? My youngest son was, uh, we, we have not yet fully assembled the trampoline in our yard since we moved. And so he was playing with one of the pipes and I don't know how it happened, but slashed his, uh, between his calf and his ankle open. Uh, pretty nice. Got to, he got to see the color of the fat inside his body, uh, which that's a good one about. Yeah. Got his money. So, yeah, it was, you know what, this is my second trip this year. Uh, my son broke his arm a couple months ago and we went to our favorite ER and they were very pleasant. So anyways, I 
uh, it was a, it was a good night and we had a good time together and went out and he got to pick what restaurant he wanted to eat at afterwards so it was a good uh father son time nice as it always is in the emergency room for us how many total stitches only 5 he di- he didn't beat my record i'm still on top <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Everything becomes a competition for me and my kids at this age. The the Porter Family Stitches Champion. That is correct. <laughs> and my and my scar on my head will be uh, far more obvious than his for many years to come. <laughs> wow. So, so what about you, Mark? What's happening in the Whitlock world? Well, back to school has been thoroughly uh, exciting, and it, it feels like uh, watching. You remember back in the day when there was this thing called a VCR that had a tape in it and you would push down the fast forward button and you know, the, even the, the audio track might hit the playhead a little bit. And you, I feel, I feel like life's in a little bit of fast forward right now for us, uh, which is okay, which is good. So did you guys, did you just start this last week? No, but everything is now in swing. Church yeah. is in swing. Youth group is in uh, swing. Uh, Sunday school's in swing. Uh, all the sports have started back now, and uh, it's just, uh, you know, putting the, the calendar to co- together can feel like a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle at times. So uh, we are, uh, we are in, the, we are in the, the, as my friend would put it, in the Battle of Bedford Falls. Those of you movie buffs out there who get that reference. I, I, I got it. I, I got to say, I love this time of year for that purpose because summer is just so catch as catch can. And I find I'm, I was not a naturally organized person. And somewhere along the line, my schedule got so impossible that I found there are great margins and peace in having a good schedule that you keep. Hmm. Yeah. So I, Right about now, I did this on Monday. I redid my whole schedule uh, for the school year with where I was putting counseling appointments and uh, all my jobs and kid stuff. And I just felt like, ah, okay, I now know what my week looks like. And uh, and then we just wait for things like emergency room trips that, you know, cut into the schedule. Those were not on the schedule, but that's okay. So do you not get that sense when you make your schedule marks? I know people feel differently about schedules. I'm glad to have a schedule, but this is also the first fall and first school year as uh, a newly remarried man. And so it's a whole different rhythm. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a drummer who has only played in 4-4 for the last six songs and now has to switch to 6-8 with a swing. (laughs) And it's a a a little different. A little yeah, different totally there with sense. the brushes. And how how old are the kids in That's your a house good now? The the uh, uh, the ones that have schedule challenges that we're juggling are fifteen, thirteen, and ten. Uh, okay, yeah, those are that. That's right in the meat of a uh, high school youth group, a junior high youth group, and a whole different set of elementary school stuff. So yeah, yeah, you, correct. You've got three feet in three different pools there. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And we also want to take just a second to congratulate Aaron. Uh, The book Soul Architecture, which we talked about several episodes ago, is finally out and available. We'll have links posted on PirateMonkPodcast.com because we just want to celebrate Aaron and the great work he's done there. So if 
if his work on um, communication styles, personality, and Enneagram, and the stuff that we talked about several episodes ago, um, really made you sit up and take notice or scratch your head and wonder, now you can read uh, his his great book. And uh, again, links will be available uh, at PirateMonkPodcast.com uh, to download that for your favorite e-reader. Hey, there you go. Yeah, check it out and tell us what you think. I'm always curious. So there's something and let else us And let us know if you're able to read that without oh, yeah. hearing Aaron's voice in your head. And if you don't yeah. hear Aaron's voice, whose, whose voice, voice do you hear? You hear? <laughs> so there's been, uh, Newton was telling me about something that was happening, and we don't have to get specific with names or anything, but Newton, give me a little of the situation yeah. with one of your local... <clears throat> churches and your thoughts on so one of the one of the large churches in nashville and i think that they're one of those churches that has like satellite churches right about 7500 adults on a weekend at about six different campuses um uh he i guess it was this sunday resigned as the pastor and it sounds like it's not from any moral failure or any scandal the what i recall from reading it was that he was just exhausted and um he said something to the effect in the release, like the press release or whatever he, whatever he said about leaders not being able to lead from leaders have to be well to lead is, is what I got from it. Um, and at first I thought, gosh, that's really good self care. And then something about that rubbed me. like maybe not the wrong way, but just, I don't know. Like it, it made me think, well, why can't a leader? And I think probably this guy was, like lead from a point of authenticity, but like what happens in a church that allows for a pastor to get to the point that he's exhausted and broken and has to stop. Um, like I, they just, something about that seems like a, what I'm going to call a Samson conversation. Um, yeah. and yeah. so, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Aaron. So we've, we've talked about this in the past. So if this is a review for some of you, then it is review for some of you. But uh, without judging this guy's situation, because I don't know it at all, there's there's two sides to this coin. The first is the church structure that we build where pastors are other than. Um, even asking a pastor, hey, are you, are, are you a member of your church? And not technically, not did you sign some, some covenant, are you are you an actual member of the body you serve? That's a weird question for most pastors because they don't think of themselves in that way often. They're they're staff, like staff yeah, and members. Right. We you you are the body. You're the people in it, and we run it. Um, and right. that can be a, a very servant-hearted running of it. But the problem is the benefits and the miracle of the church is when you're in the body, not outside of the body. And so the very structure itself lends itself towards uh, wearing yourself out and not having the kind of authentic relationships. I think most most pastors, I feel safe saying that, would say they don't have a lot of authentic relationships within their churches. Sometimes they have other pastor friends or friends outside the church, but they don't feel it's appropriate or safe have those inside the church now that is the church structure's fault in some ways but the reason it's worth talking about here is 
for the listeners that are listening right now that are not pastors and to realize that you're the other part of the problem sometimes. Um, we, we sometimes have a need for people to be on pedestals for two reasons, two main reasons. One is because we want to see what it looks like to achieve and be the stuff that I'm trying to achieve and be. So we're kind of looking for a complete product. And pastors are not. Pastors are just people in the church who Ephesians 4 says have been gifted uh, to do a certain job, which is equip other people to do the ministry that God's put on their heart. So they're just members of the church with a specific gift. And they might do it vocationally, but it doesn't change their standing as a member of the body. Um, so they're not complete products. Every pastor on this planet is a human being with the same emotions, feelings, struggles, thoughts, everything that you think a pastor would never think every pastor has thought. So they're, they're not complete products. But then there's this other part uh, of pedestals that really, ah, oh, it just chaps my hide, which is <laughs> if I put someone on a pedestal, then I can subtly believe that, well, they're something special. They're other than me. I could never be expected to do what they do. And that is a very subtle way that we make excuses in the church to not step up and say, no, I have significant value and gifts to bring to the body. And and he is not other than me. He's not doing something I can't. I can be as connected with Jesus as the pastor is. I can know intimately as much about the person of Jesus as he knows. He is not other than me in these ways. And so it, we kind of, it's, it's easy for ped pedestals to be our, uh, our, our door into minimizing all that God's made us to be. So I think it's, it's everybody's responsibility in the church to treat their pastors like a human being, to even occasionally call them by their first name without putting the word pastor in front of it. Just, you know, try that sometime. It's okay. See, uh, see if they answer. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, I, I can say that because that's a pet peeve. I, I really dislike being called pastor. Um, but it, it is a humanizing thing to just have a name. And, you know, I really think if we're going to call pastors, Pastor John, that you need to be okay being called like Gifts of Helps Tom. You know, we'll just call everybody by their gift and that'll be cool. Let's, let's make it even across the board. That's funny. So, you know, as you're, anyways, as you're saying that, go ahead. Sorry. It, it, I was just going to say, it takes a culture shift within a church to allow for a pastor to be broken along the way, to struggle along the way, to be weak along the way, and that you still encourage them as a human being. And that takes a mindset for the church leaders, and it takes a mindset for the people in the pews. And it takes a lot of love and grace. As you were talking, I was reminded um, a couple of days ago, I had a conversation with some guys. I, I've been just really kind of dealing with a whole bunch of just a lot of stuff at once. Like we're doing a home refinance and there's some challenges there and, you know, business challenges and personal challenges and, and all these things. And I, I told them like, I really feel like I'm just getting caved in. Like I'm just like all the pressures just pushing me in. And 
as I, as we were talking and they were pushing on me, um, I, I realized that failure and struggle was never modeled for me as, as a, as a man, like was never modeled for me in my family. Um, and so like the men that I've always looked up to weren't men, they were archetypes, they were avatars. Oh, and, oh. and, yeah. and I, and I think as you're, as you were talking, Aaron, like that was immediately what I thought as we turned, there's a tendency, I think, if we're not careful to turn pastors and staff and people in quote leadership positions into archetypes and avatars. Um, and that's not their fault necessarily. It's not, you know, it's not my dad's fault that I turned him into an archetype of masculinity. Um, I mean, I guess there, like there's some degree to which he didn't show me his failures and struggles. Um, but I think there needs to be, I think an, a good awareness, a healthy awareness of this guy's human. This lady is human, you know, regardless of the position, you know, like the guys doing this podcast, we're human. We screw up, you know? Amen. Um, so the, the archetyping of church, church staff, um, is what I'm hearing, uh, I think it's not just with church staff. I think it's possible to do that with anybody, but I think this is a, an example of what can happen maybe like when that happens. And this is for everybody. I, I love when, when Paul says like three different times, you know, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. We can lay onto that some kind of interpretation that he's saying, okay, I figured it out now imitate me. But right. Paul is very clear that he doesn't have it all together. So what is he asking them to imitate? And I think, and this is my own thought on this, that Paul's <laughs> inviting them to see him both in the ways he's uh, having victory in his faith and the ways he falls and stands back up in grace. Because if you never see what it looks like to struggle I guess, again, no judgment on this guy you're talking about because I don't know him, but if a pastor never shows anyone, okay, so this is what it looks like to screw up and that the gospel's still enough. Here's what it looks like to rise in grace and to find victory even though there was defeat yesterday. Then nobody else knows how to do that. That lesson goes untaught and it gets pushed underground. And so I think the authentic community that we that we try to talk about is bringing people that mature Christians need to bring other people who are younger in their faith into the whole journey, not just what I learned from uh, Philippians this week, but what I learned in Philippians was enough to sustain me even when I wasn't able to live out what I read in Philippians. Like that's the yeah. whole picture. And that's a very vulnerable place to go. So, yeah, and it's yeah, it's yeah good. I, I don't know good, that that's good just for a bringing Western, it up. I yeah, yeah, I think yeah. this is important. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I don't know, having only operated in one culture, which is Western American slash Christian. Um, like I don't know what it's like in in other cultures, but I think that's definitely an American thing, you know, a Western culture thing, of, you know, like the the John waning of yeah. No, <laughs> of, don't. Uh, see, I'll I'll let America off on this. Uh, I I thought it was utterly fascinating a few years ago when Nate went to China, because they have such yeah. a shame based culture, and older men do not talk about anything personal or shameful. I remember that. Yeah. So the, there are other cultures that are far more shaming 
than America. And if you look at the history of church, you see church structure being built with a classist kind of idea a lot of times that removes and separates its priest class. So this uh, has been a universal human flaw from the beginning of time that we are all at war. It's why over and over again, God calls us to humble ourselves, Hmm. that this, this is our act that we have to do. And if we choose not to, then he will help us. But in the end, he's calling us to do that humbling. And why does he bring it up over and over? Why is it throughout our uh, our texts that God gave us 2,000 years ago? Well, because 2,000 years ago, people were lying and faking just as much as they <laughs> right. do now in America. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a good point. So, yeah. So that's good. We enter into the fraternity of man and and, uh, and seek to find out what it means to be honest for once with the people and while around it's, us. And while it's great for us to think about humanizing our pastors and not putting them on those pedestals and making sure that our hearts are not doing such, it's also good to help your pastor not get exhausted in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so here are three, three things that uh, I've tried in the past helping our pastors out. One, Babysit for him, please. Offer to have their kids come over so he and his wife can go out on a stinking date. And if you can keep them overnight, glory be to you. <laughs> uh, also, they pastors feel isolated. And if you get a chance, if you're going out to the movie with a couple of guys or going down to the casual pint to grab an IPA, right? invite your pastor along. Uh, it's very rare that they, they get invited to go along on stuff like that. It's not on the church calendar and he may say no, but the invitation will mean a whole lot to him. And then thirdly, the next time you're at a bookstore, wait, wait, wait. can we, can we add, uh, add a thought to that? Invite sure. him to lunch, invite him to lunches as much as going out, like get a few friends, go to lunch because his schedule might be so night heavy that he feels like his wife's going to be mad or it's going to take stuff like that during the yeah. day options like that. You might get more yeses from your pastors. Good point. Just throwing that out. And then the third thing, next time you're buying a book online or actually at a physical bookstore, pick up a gift card, give it to him, just stick it in his pocket on Sunday and just, just bless him because they, they always need, at least it's been my experience. I don't know about you, pastor Aaron, but uh, <laughs> they always need more books. <laughs> nice. Well, hey, going into this break, we're going to come back and talk about something uh, good and unique. But since we're talking about pedestals, uh, I am going to offer up a song that I wrote uh, probably 15 years ago called A Pastor's Thoughts on Pedestals. So uh, go ahead and take my early pastor angst, you podcast listeners. I'm forcing it on <laughs> Want me to climb back up To that place above all the common ones Broken lives What a monument to pride Where what's real and your truth collide It's the battlefield Where you're safe It's the wrecking yard for the brave. 
pedestals you've made
back on the Pirate Monk podcast uh, without Nate, without Mondo, sadly. Uh, remember, leave your uh, birthday greetings for Nate uh, at piratemonkpodcast.com and click on the episodes to, to do so. And uh, it was funny, I got an email earlier this week from you, Aaron, saying, hey, this is what we're doing on the podcast. And uh, why, don't, why don't you give us an outline of the research that you've been doing about Australia and uh, get us into the topic. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, strangely, we're going to keep this a, a bit of a secret, but I'm, I'm going to start with this. This is for our lady listeners as much as anything today. Now, you might not see why right away, but it's kind of coming back to you. So, a few weeks ago, I found an article. An article came up about Australian laws on pornography. And Australia has been doing a lot of legislating revolving around pornography, probably more than most countries. And as they were growing, uh, basically I'll, I'll put it this way, the biggest one right now is on a thing called revenge porn. If you don't know what revenge porn is, it's uh, say there's a couple and they're together and she lets him take pictures of them having sex or her naked or something like that. And then after they break up, he posts those pictures. Um, that is becoming more common, and it's called revenge porn. And so there are more laws in Australia coming up. There's some in America, but more so in Australia, and especially with younger people uh, really legislating child pornography laws against selfies that have been taken and then posted. Uh, so those all, that's that seems like a good thing, right? We're all okay with, hey, I didn't give you permission to put right. me up online. Right. That was a and, private and we've thing. We've seen in our culture with all the leaked stuff. Yeah. Right. When people have hacked and it's like, wow, that's that's really sad and inappropriate that somebody is being exposed and humiliated in these ways without their permission. But all of a sudden, some other problems were coming up. Um, I can read from a couple articles. Um, it says, if no changes made, child pornography laws that are intended to protect young people could instead be used to punish normal teenage behavior. And we can get back to that phrase, but later in this article <laughs> by Mashable, oh it says, too often uh, public has reflexively treated revenge porn and sexting as two sides of the same coin when it comes to people under 18. The consensual and non-consensual sharing of intimate pictures by teenagers are often regarded as equally suspect. So the problem starts coming when uh, young people that are sending each other pictures, which is becoming way too normal, all of a sudden, if a 16-year-old boy is involved with that, he could be charged uh, with sex crimes that's going to stay with him the rest of his life. Um, so Victoria, uh, has tried to do things differently in Australia and they're the only place that's trying to navigate this. In 2014, uh, in Victoria, young people cannot be prosecuted for child pornography offenses so long as the photo was shared of themselves. Oh, that was part of the law too. If you sent a picture of yourself as a kid, you could also be charged under the laws because wow. it was too, uh, vague in that. So it says you, you can't be prosecuted 
if it's a picture of yourself or if the person receiving the image was under 18 and the person in the photo was no more than two years younger than the person receiving it. Other states and territories haven't amended the legislation. Uh, it means the young person could be charged with child pornography offenses for even taking an image of themselves. So, the the issue, the topic today is not on revenge porn or things like this, but the fact that countries are trying to take this seriously, but finding out that legislating for this kind of behavior ends up having a lot of unforeseen consequences. And so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, okay, what do we do in our lives, in our culture, and especially uh, most of our listeners are from America, where do we try to fix a problem through legislation, and where do we have to go elsewhere? So what are your first thoughts on just those little quotes that I just read? It, it feels like um, taking something like, that is a, like a poor decision <clears throat> or, or a, you know, something stupid and making it criminal. Um, it, it just, I don't know. Like it's, it's fraught with peril. Um, you know, prohibition didn't work, you know, and like with alcohol, um, I have a hard time like putting them together, like putting my thoughts together on it. Um, cause it, I mean, cause it confused, like I, I wouldn't say, I shouldn't say it confuses me. I'm of two minds with it. Yes. Revenge porn is bad. Yes. Those things are bad. Um, yes, we should try to find a way to stop them. But legislation doesn't necessarily stop it. Um, and and it seems like it could have some pretty bad blowback consequences. Um, so I don't I don't know. Like I, I really don't know where I land on it. I think I'm probably it's confusing murky water for me. Mark, what are your thoughts? Well, when something is dangerous, say murder, uh, theft, armed robbery, we we do things about it, uh, and so ha- ha- we know this this behavior can be dangerous, can have uh, grave consequences, can have grave consequences in the lives of uh, of the teenagers from uh, the potential for disease. Uh, we know it can have grave consequences depending on how you look at it from the sense of, of, uh, uh, pregnancy and okay. Now, now what do we do in, in this case? How, how do, how do we proceed further? Um, so what, what do we do, uh, in these situations, uh, in the case of pornography, if it's as dangerous to, uh, human beings, as we say that it is, as to distort their lives and to make life difficult for them, what can we do? In America, it's it's always been a First Amendment issue. You go back to the Reagan administration. You go back to, you know, Dr. James Dobson interviewing Ted Bundy about pornography and the Pornography Commission and all that. And what it boiled down to was it's a First it's a First Amendment issue. It's a freedom issue. It's a freedom of speech and expression issue. And therefore, you could only get so far until you hit the brick wall of freedom of expression. And therefore, they legislated it um, only only so far. And, and could never do anything about it. And, and that ushered in, you know, parental warning labels on music and, and everything else. And it started to go in sideways. 
uh, into, into other matters other than that uh, in the, the late 80s and early 90s. Um, so, so how do you address not, it? Not to mention, that's, uh, that's a great point. I mean, when they put the, the labels on like rap albums, right? The Tipper Gore thing about parental right. warnings. That was supposed to protect young people, and yet that law became a badge of honor for a lot of kids to get those albums. So that that kind of backfired. So go on. It's it's a good thread of thought. Yeah. So so the point is, you know, we've we've all said, you know, we always bring up the prohibition issue. You know, legislating morality doesn't work. Uh, okay. Then why were there Ten Commandments? Uh, you know, was, was God trying to legislate morality? Or, you know, as some pastors say, okay, no, they're not Ten Commandments. Of, they're not the, the thou shalt not. They are the fences in our lives hmm. that, that are supposed to show us the areas of harm and difficulty. And it's, it's like a do not enter sign or no trespassing sign in our lives. Yeah, you know, I can take two steps into that yard that says no trespassing and nothing's going to happen to me. The dog's not going to attack me. The owner's not going to come out with a shotgun and take my head off. But I, I am breaking the law. I am, I am trespassing. The same way we, you know, we look at how Jesus went even deeper and further with uh, his explanation of those Ten Commandments, and we, you know, and for the example of, of murder, you know, took it all the way to hatred. So okay, so that's not legislating morality, but what is it? So what what could we do following in that example? What can we do to put hedges, to put fences up uh, about the issue? And then the other thing, the 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 other side of the issue is. Um, how far we've pushed it as a, as a country in, um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the phrase, but uh, making all things lawful, where uh, you know, uh, the moralities become murky and what's right for you, if it's not, okay, hey, it's not right for you, that's okay, but it's right for me and that makes it right. And, and so wh- where, do we, where do we find any absolutes and how do, how do we go forward to that? And if there, are, if there is absolute truth and there is absolute morality, so to speak, um, and going back to an extreme example again of murder, um, then what laws are actually necessary and needed? And then the other thing I'll say is that all of this stuff goes into a fight uh, and becomes a social media battle in 140 characters or less or a good image. And somebody makes a, a snarky comment and then all the news and all the debate becomes about the snarky comment or about this particular photo. Look, that photo isn't that bad. Why, why is that guy getting arrested for, for that right. photo? As opposed to, can we stay focused on, on the bigger issue here? Um, th- those are the three things that I don't get and I, I struggle with and, and don't know how to, how to address. All right, let's, let's admit right now that defining terms is important. Because when it comes to a word like morality, uh, it, it seems like that's a very definable word, and yet people use it in different ways. So when we talk about legislating morality, um, well, I mean, I can read to you. This is from a, a website called Free Thoughts. It's an atheist website, and they say laws are just a set of rules to ensure safe and harmonious interaction of society. Whether or not laws align with morality has everything to do with your personal sense of moral values, but we don't govern from morality in the U.S., for example, uh, but from a constitution that was put forward by some as what was considered to be a good idea for governance. The constitution does not tell anyone what is right or wrong. It talks about 
governmental authority. Uh, it's against my morality doesn't fly to change laws when you're in the realm of law. We have a lot of laws that have nothing to do whatsoever with morality. So that's that side, but then uh, I have a Christian article uh, by Frank Turek explaining that all laws legislate morality. We go into great detail to support this point in our book, Legislate Morality, but to be brief, morality is about right or wrong, and all laws declare one behavior to be right and the opposite behavior to be wrong. So the question is not whether or not we can legislate morality, but whose morality we legislate. It goes on. So I, I will say this. Christian friends, I would love for us to be really good at having these conversations outside of our Christian culture. So the quick quick answer of, well, atheists have no right to even talk about legislative morality because they can't have morality because where do they, they don't have an absolute standard for right and wrong, you know, that whole argument. Right, right. Um, please, please don't please ever don't say that. Say that. <laughs> that is incredibly <laughs> dishonoring. Uh, Every atheist I know has a set of morals or values, whether they call them morals or not. And if we as Christians say, well, where do you get those? Uh, well, they just get them from a basic uh, sense of murder is wrong. So we're against it. So in that way, we are legislating some type of morality. Um, but I, I think we can get really tied up like you were talking about mark with these little terms and miss the the bigger picture of what we're actually talking about and you brought up something that uh the person that wrote this article uh in the atheist article it's against my morality doesn't fly to change laws when you're in the realm of law um he says that we make laws uh, what did he say here um we don't govern for morality, but what is considered to be good ideas and what is, uh, what did he say, helpful? It's kind of like when you said the thing about pregnancy and, and those types of things being harmful to humans. That's where we hit this gray area where it's not murder, it's not stealing. It's saying, man, if you get pregnant, that's bad for you if you're a 14-year-old. Well, okay. Um, we can take that to a lot of extremes. I mean, frankly, if we take a poll of women, how many women would say wearing high heels is ultimately not good for you? Right. So do we start legislating what kind of footwear people have to wear or what young girls see in footwear so that they don't get encouraged? Now that's like, okay, that's extreme and silly. Yeah, but even with these Australian laws, they were making laws about it doesn't matter if a person in a pornographic image is 18, but if they look like they could be younger, then that is against the law. Well, that starts to become very subjective, right? Right. To to the point that they had people upset saying that they were legislating against small breasts because small breasts are girlish. Then you had feminists writing saying that you're shaming different body types and, you know, it becomes incredibly weird. That's like weird stuff. But that's what happens when we start going too far with this. And in the end, what are we actually helping? Now, I said this was for the women, and here's why. Um, and, and maybe I don't mean women in general, but to wives who have husbands who are struggling in this area, 
when I've talked to wives who are in the middle of this, they kind of wish there was just a rule that could stop this behavior. Yeah. Which is the reason we would make any law. Is there a rule that we can stop a behavior that's harmful? And having worked with high school girls, actually junior high girls, who have had pictures uh, that they've been talked into taking pictures of themselves by peers, and then those pictures were shared, devastating. 13 and 14-year-old girls. Like, my, my heart is utterly broken for that. And yet here are these kids with this technology. It, it hurts my heart to see that first article calling it normal teenage behavior. Right, right. Because I, I so hope that it's not, and yet I see it. And we've talked about Snapchat and how that's become such a portal for kids to do ridiculously stupid things right. and feel some safety that's not actually there. So the protection and the this is harmful to them becomes not a physical harm and not a property harm. It becomes an emotional harm. And that's where it can get a little tricky for us as Christians who want to defend and protect these kids to know what we should do in our country and the way that our, our political system is set up and the, the way that our votes work, uh, what do we do and how do we deal with that in a culture with so many people that feel differently? Aaron, to your point about, like, I do, like, I wish there was just some, like, in my life, just some rule, just something that I could implement that would say, Newton doesn't want to look at porn anymore. Like, it would fix it. And it just doesn't. I can put every filter on my phone, every, like, I can put everything, like, all those things in there, <clears throat> but what it what it really requires is a heart change. Like Covenant Eyes, frankly, isn't going to keep me from looking at porn. You know, I I can find it one one way or another. But when I read, and this may not maybe this isn't a universal truth, but when I read, you know, like sites or groups like Fight the New Drug, uh, when they're posting articles about like, hey, this porn actress. Um, or porn actor, um, you know, talks about what it's really like and the harm that it does to the person. That starts to work. And, and it, it it kind of feels, I mean, it feels like that, like this, like what you're talking about feels like that to me. Like putting the law into place doesn't, doesn't necessarily stop it. Just putting light on something, I think, can start to stop it. Um, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that feels soft <laughs> and it feels rel um, like relativism or, you know, something, but like, that's, that's true for me that saying my phone can't go to certain websites only goes so far. Show me what happens to the people that are on the other side of that screen or camera starts to do that. Um, Right. Well, and, and really, you're talking about ways in which you're legislating your own morality to put up blockers. Right. And it's it's no different. It's just on a right. personal level. And it doesn't stop it until there's a heart change. Right. And we've found that doing that in honest communities the most effective way. Right. Which doesn't mean that putting covenant eyes on your phone is a bad thing because that 
really what something like Triple X Church Watch or yeah. Covenant Eyes does is give a speed bump when you're triggered and moving towards this thing that is bad for you. It it hopefully slows the process down and gives enough time for sanity to kick in. Right. Because if any of us wants to do anything inappropriate, we'll find a way. But I know in my life, the more time I'm forced to have between uh, an impulse and an action, that is hugely important. But in the end, it's going to take relationships and talking with people and people knowing what the struggle is and what the triggers are. That's what's really going to be most effective in helping me heal and change behavior. But in the meantime, you've still got these, and now we've got these two categories of conversations. We have adults engaging in inappropriate behavior and kids engaging in inappropriate behavior. And we can even look at uh, all of the laws. There's a lot of stuff in the UK more so than US about decriminalizing drugs and trying to have uh, a culture that is more about rehabilitation than criminalization um and russell brand has done a documentary on it and it's coming more to the forefront but it's a similar thing where okay do we want to put people into the criminal system for these behaviors or is there another way or is there a way to determine yeah this person was being uh inappropriate in a criminal way with what they did with these pictures versus you know there's there's those nuances and that's that's a really hard hard thing when everybody just becomes a criminal and i think our sex offender laws are uh, i have a real problem with them because you're the same you categorize the same sex offender if you're 20 years old and uh, inappropriately touch, not even have sex with, um, but just touch like a 17 right. year old or a 16 year old. And that's in the same category as somebody who's molesting a five year old for, you know, years. And and I take issue with the fact that there aren't any categories in yeah. place here. It's just, you're a sex offender. So there's not a lot of nuance to this. And I think that does need to be discussed. But now that gets into what do we do as Christians in our culture with laws? What is our our obligation as Christians? What is our responsibility as Christians to engage in the political process? And that's certainly relevant at this election time. Not that that's what's being discussed more than people sending memes and tweets and uh, things like that. Ridiculous. But uh, so what... Not to totally change topics, but how, how does that fit in? What is our responsibility as Christians in our American political environment? Well, the point that I was I was going to make uh, may, doesn't really get, address that because it kind of goes back to legislative morality, and that is much football game. And everybody on the field uh, uh, and everybody on the sidelines and to some extent everybody in the stands knows the rules of the game. Right. And uh, while the referees know the rules more intimately than everybody else and are upholding them, and the crowd can complain when a call is made, 
uh, everybody in that stadium still from from the you know the popcorn vendor who couldn't care less about American football to uh, you know the coach of a team who's who feels like his champion his job is riding on whether or not his team wins they all go go along with it okay that's holding or that was a, that was a you know a slash or whatever that was a targeting call right why doesn't that work in our culture why why is it that we can't you know all look at it and go that was a targeting dude because we're all playing different games okay i mean good point you know like what what works in soccer doesn't work in football if you go just if we're if we're playing two different games the rules don't work and we're in a society like we're in a culture it's not a cultural um <clears throat> i'm not knocking the culture we're all playing different games you know just naturally we're all different people um so i think that's why one like that kind of legislating morality thing. I think that's why that's so hard. Like mm-hmm. you're maybe, maybe Mark, you're trying to do as much good as you can in the world. Maybe I'm trying to make as much money as I can in the world. And that's two different sets of paradigms or two different paradigms. Um, that, that's the first thing I think of is, yeah, what I can do in hockey is different than what I can do in soccer, than football, than, than whatever. Um, so everybody agrees to the rules of the game when they walk in in that context. Good point. Good point. To your question, uh, Aaron, about the, the governmental process, you know, we, we wear two different hats and this is my, totally my opinion. We wear the hat of an American citizen. Those of us who live in America and we wear the hat of a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, my responsibility is to love you and to love Aaron and to love Mondo and the Nate, to love my wife and my kids and my neighbors and, my, even my enemies to the best of my ability and uh, to let's, let's call him Ulbrecht since I don't have any friends named Ulbrecht. If <laughs> Ulbrecht is struggling with uh, a besetting sin in his life and he's asked me to help him, it's my responsibility as a citizen of heaven to love him well and to offer grace when he, when he messes up and to offer help if he asks for it. And uh, if you ask for it to, you know, keep, keep my eyes out in love for him. Um, and, and as a citizen, my, my job is to say, you know, who, who can lead us? Who can, who can look at that from the school board? And, you know, I've heard jokes said that, the, that really the most governing actually happens in the local elections that nobody cares about. Because that's what really matters is do you get the funding for the, the streets to be finished? And is your school board going to allow, you know, uh, craziness to enter the classroom and 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 things like that and so our you know we're, we're to be informed as citizens of, of america and to make decisions on who will lead uh, us effectively and yeah i mean based on the game i'm playing if i'm over here playing marbles right and i'm going to choose i'm going to vote for someone who i think does the best job at leading marbles but it's you know it's going to be a tough tough thing moving forward uh how to do that now, I, I, totally I, I totally realize that people have such strong opinions on this hopefully that some hopefully some of our listeners are getting a little riled up. <laughs> and by the way, I don't know that we're going to come to any conclusive answers on this. <laughs> but I think you're touching on what for me is the core of all of these laws that touch on my morals about what I think about putting up pornographic images of somebody else or... Uh, you know, Romans 13 certainly affirms that the ruling authorities are put in place 
by God. And here in America, you know, they Paul was writing in a world where he didn't get to elect those officials. So it was a whole lot of just, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with whoever the Roman emperor is. Well, that's not where I live. And so I do wear two hats. I think that's absolutely right what you're saying. And Christian morals do dictate the laws of the land in as much as Christians vote according to their morals. That is the way our government is set up. That has nothing to do with the separation of church and state. That is not the church trying to run the country. That's people within the church voting according to right. their Just values. Just like people outside of the church so that's, voting according to their yeah. values. And, or yeah, whatever. That, and that, is, that is okay, and nobody, uh, there's no argument against that any more than I can argue against uh, a person who is not a Christian voting according to their values. That's the country I live in. That's how it's set up. But within that, Let's let's take uh, let's take another issue of creating uh, morals around laws or laws around morals. Switch that around, however you want to say. It. When the folks wouldn't bake the cake for a gay right. wedding, right? That became a big deal. And then, what are the rules? Do they have to? So, as an American, if that was on a ballot in front of me, do do these folks who own a private business, should they be forced by a law to bake a cake for someone they don't want to bake a cake for? I would absolutely vote, uh, no, government, you don't get to tell a private business owner how they run their business. Right. Now, now there will be natural consequences, such as if they choose not to bake that cake, maybe nobody goes and buys cakes from them because they're mad at them. Right. And then their business closed down. Well, that's the natural consequence of someone living out their convictions within their private business. So as an American, I would absolutely vote that a private business owner has a right to do that. And by the way, if I want to do a happy conversion birthday for one of my kids and somebody says, you know what, I don't like Christians and I don't want to give you a cake, I think they have a right to do that as well. Right. But... That I wear my other hat, that's how I would vote as an American. As a Christian, I think Scripture clearly says, if my enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. So anyone claiming to be a citizen of heaven and a Christian who says, I will not provide food for this function because it's a gay wedding, is now wearing their American rights hat in their Christian walk and forsaking the clear teachings of Scripture that says, we, if you want to call them the enemy, okay, fine. Here's all your Bible verses on what you do with your enemy. Right. And all of those would lead to an uncomfortable truth. So when I start to mix and blend what it means for me to live as a Christian and what it means to have rights as an American, according to Scripture, I have given up my rights for that citizenship in heaven. I walk a different path because of it, and it's a path of love and grace and mercy that doesn't change the fact that I will still vote according to my beliefs. That's okay. But practically how I live, I need to make sure that I'm not claiming American rights in my Christian worldview because my rights have been given up for Christ. And John one twelve says, 
that the right that I have is to be called a child of God because I believe on his name. That's the right I claim. Right. And I, I, I had a professor in college years and years and years ago, um, 20 years ago, <laughs> um, that said something to the effect of, <clears throat> and lots of churches do this, and I'll own my judgment on it, that he said something, and I agree with him, that when he sees a, like an American flag or a state flag in a church, he sees a swastika. Uh. And I whole I wholeheartedly agree. Like if I'm a Christian, I I live in America. I'm an American citizen by fact. You know, like I live here. But if America is doing something that is counter to my Christianity, Christianity wins. So like flying flying a flag, regardless of what that flag is, it can be any any flag. Flying a flag of one thing within within my within my church, I I don't sign off on it. I, I I it rubs me weird. Like official recommendations by official church bodies. Well, okay, that's great that you think that guy's the best guy, but what if he turns out to be a whatever, you know, or she? I mean, I'm you know, um, or or that or that group well, and, or that party. Yeah, and that you know, I, I believe that, that really we should gonna... be. That frankly, Christians should be like I would almost say, agnostic, in 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 that regard. Um, not that we can't have opinions, but that like there's not enough. I don't know. Whatever, I can get in the weeds on it. Yeah, yeah. I I think that uh, the only place we have to be very careful with a thought like that is to realize there's different motives for saying well, why is that flag at the front of the church, right? Uh, and, and there can be the patriotism, which is good that's where it starts to blend with christianity where patriotism and christianity start to blend and then gets confusing for people um but i i think it's a great you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with a christian being incredibly proud to be an american to be in living in this country where we have these freedoms where we can even have this discussion we're having right now that i'm an american by fact but it is also my privilege sure and with it comes the beautiful responsibilities that have been afforded me by being an American that I wouldn't have if I was living in China. Um, so it, it kind of comes down to what, what does that mean when somebody puts the, the flag up there? And are we now mixing our politics with Christianity in ways that are inappropriate? But that is a uh, I would love to hear 15 listeners' uh, response on that. I'll bet we would get some some <laughs> some different yeah uh, 15 different ideas about it. So back all the way to the beginning, where here's Australia trying to be responsible in the area of pornography and seeing how it's harmful to people, but seeing that these the nuances of this law end up also hurting some young people i don't i don't particularly have an answer i give a big thumbs up to australia for trying to deal with it right and facing it so good for them for doing that but it also brings up these personal questions that comes back to it doesn't matter what laws in place the answer for us as Christians are going to lie within the person of Christ and the body of Christ that he's given us as our support and our refuge in the practical grace we receive 
in our day to day. So if there are people listening that think, ah, just another law would fix this, it uh, it won't. And I think you said it at a personal level, Newton, when you talked about your personal laws that don't help either. If there's not a heart change and if there's not a community to help you walk in it. Yeah, I think. And that's that's what we're pushing for in our own lives and the lives of our listeners. Yeah, I think I I've got a lot of respect for Australia for what they're for what they're trying to do. Um, I mean, that's that's messy. You know, I think. I think like with all the things we're talking about today, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of nuance in there. There's a lot of, of fine, fine sanding, like fine detail work. Um, and I think, I feel like our jobs is as Christians is to like focus on making people well. And if there are laws that can help us that make people well, um, or encourage them towards that, I guess. Um, yeah, let's, let's do that. But I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think there, are, I'm concerned about the unintended consequences, like you're talking about of, um, of, of some of the laws, but I think, yeah, it, to me, it just comes back to like how to, like, regardless of the laws, how do we help make people well? Um, how do we, how do we show people the good news? How do we, how do we give them freedom, you know? Which is the the unintended consequence of our political system is that many Christians think that a law will be the solution and that they don't have to personally invest in the broken and yeah. hurt, hurt people that need to be made well. They're hoping that the right law pushed through Congress will make people well and they're off the hook in their responsibilities. Right. And I feel totally comfortable saying, friends, uh, you didn't lose an ounce of responsibility no matter which law is enacted. Right. Uh, if if abortion is made illegal tomorrow, you will still have a responsibility to women who are pregnant and are confused and scared and need you to walk with them. It doesn't matter. And... I guess I get frustrated if Christians talk more about the laws revolving around these important issues, more so than saying, well, how many women have you walked through their pregnancy? Have you helped them with making a decision with what they're going to do with their child? Have gone and filled out the paperwork with them to have an adoption? Uh, Have you taken the hours and months and maybe years to practically love that person? Or did you just think a law was going to fix it? Well, if you thought a law was going to fix it, then you have abdicated your role as a citizen of heaven to the laws of this country, and you've missed the whole point. I, I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's it. Well, Man. Mark, any closing thoughts as we uh, wrap up today? Because I don't know how long we've been going, but I I know I'm exhausted with the confusion in my own mind. <laughs> I was just thinking about if uh, my birth father. Who I've never met, age 21, and my birth mother, who I've never met, age 16, found out they were expecting today. He could be charged with statutory rape hmm. um, as an adult of, of an underage girl. Uh, what if they'd sexted and what if he'd posted images? He could have been, uh, you know, in some ways, if the laws were in place, he could have been prosecuted and 
and uh, found himself in jail uh, for something like that. Right. And we haven't even gotten to the point of, uh, is abortion legal? Is adoption too complicated? And, and all of those things. Uh, and, and, um, I, I, th- I was just thinking about them as you were, as you were stating that and, and whatever circumstances, whoever walked them through for whatever reason for them to make the courageous decision they did, uh, I'm grateful. And then in closing, uh, if, if you're still frustrated about this issue, if you want to debate it, check out Matthew 25. If you haven't read that in a while, read Matthew 25 and hear what we say to Jesus sometimes when we're facing stuff like this. And I would, I mean, to me, this is, it's a conversation. You know, I think we said, you know, on the retreat weekend, like we're, we're not authorities, right? We're just guys with microphones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I would love to like, I'd love to hear your feedback. Like, how does this strike you guys and women? Like, how does, like, what are your thoughts? Um, how do we continue this conversation? Like we've, we've said some things. <clears throat> I think we all have, you know, differing and complimentary or contradictory views, like just the three of us. Like, what do you think? Um, how do we continue a conversation? How do we, um, how do we do this? Like it's a, it's a messy process. Um, so I'd, I'd love your feedback. I'd love to hear what, what everybody else has to say. Um, so you can send feedback to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. That's correct. Or leave a comment. And our comments are moderated at piratemonkpodcast.com. Or you and can say terrible things and post memes on Facebook. We have a Facebook page as well. Uh, we welcome Pirate Monk Radio. We welcome your, you your Willy Wonka and, um, <laughs> I don't know, meme of the week. <laughs> hey, thanks everyone for allowing us to have conversations that are not just about easy answers or giving you Uh, quick solutions thanks for hanging in with us and going on the mental journey and hopefully the spiritual journey of figuring out what does it mean for us to live out our faith in the places that god has put us so thanks again and that is all for this week from aaron i'm mark i'm newton and and we're your pals on the pirate fun podcast (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, Kofi and Junior, baby. Preaching recovery. Do it, do it, do it.